Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll be glad you did. Welcome to Face Connecticut, an in-depth look at today's issues. Good morning, everybody, and welcome to Face Connecticut. I'm Morgan Cunningham on WTIC News Talk 1080, 96.5 TIC, and Light 100.5 WRCH. Our guest this morning is Republican State Senator Tony Wong of Fairfield, and we're going to be talking about Connecticut's plans to phase out gas vehicles and trucks over the next decade or so. Good morning, Senator, and welcome to the program. Lots to talk about. Good morning, Morgan. Thanks for having me on your show. Happy to have you with us. And like I said, there's so much going on with Connecticut transportation that sometimes it's hard to actually keep up with it all. And this is, yes, an old law, but it's being enacted now. And there was a press conference just a number of days ago on Wednesday talking about reducing car and truck emissions and improving standards eventually moving all the way over to electric vehicles, moving away from gas and diesel vehicles. So there's a lot going on here. Could you just start off with a summary of what we talked about already this week, and then we'll dig into it from there? Surely. Uh, This bill, uh, Public Act 22-25, which was in 2022 Senate Bill 4, uh, is a comprehensive bill, even though it talks about you know, cars and truck emission standards and electric vehicles. It was really a comprehensive review, and they liked the title of Connecticut Clean Air Act. And and what it focused on was the fossil fuel emissions from our cars, and more importantly, light trucks, as well as school buses, and really working to reduce that emission. Now, it's an ambitious timeline to 2035, but uh, even though we talk a lot about California standards. I think legislatively we're saying these are good barometers for us to look at, but we need to look at it Connecticut's way and and push to strive to get to these standards. And they are ambitious standards, which is looking to reduce nearly 95 plus percent emissions uh, in our air. It's not only looking at encouraging our our car manufacturers to produce more electric vehicles or non-fossil fuel vehicles, but also looking at infrastructure, meaning that using part of the funds from the state, but also federal infrastructure money to be able to put more charging stations, to create more of a built-in infrastructure to accommodate EVs. Because one of the hesitations to driving electric vehicles is range anxiety, that the fact that you can only go 100 or 200 miles and have to charge. What happens, you're on a, 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 a cross-country trip, 
and you're stuck without any energy, that, that's a real concern. So we're really pushing uh, and advocating our manufacturers and consumers to buy into the electric vehicle. So it's a comprehensive bill. Another part of it was looking at school buses and, and, and creating electric school buses because they're one of the biggest emission producers. Because imagine traveling and driving when, when school year starts, kids back and forth. But also we, we gave some rebates to electric bikes, which has been a resounding success. So this bill was a comprehensive bill that uh, went and passed last year in 2022. What the announcement was, which was delayed uh, almost 10 days because of the flooding in Bristol and the, and, and the River Valleys, was, was really to emphasize how we're going to do it. We're going to get public feedback. We're in a cooperative relationship, collaborative relationship, rather, with states like Massachusetts, New Jersey, New York, and Rhode Island. Because that's one of the biggest concerns when we were in debate was we can't do this in isolation. Even though we like the lead and, and, and have the initiative, I don't think it makes economic sense for us to not do this, to do, the, do this without having collaborative neighboring states. Because what if we make all the changes and we still get the bad uh, polluted air from New York, Massachusetts, and New Jersey, and Rhode Island? So one of the collaborative is to join kind of the group of surrounding states so that we can really make a collaborative and effective regional difference. Am I correct in understanding that only EV vehicles would be allowed to be sold in Connecticut? Is that the reality or is it something else? Well, it's an ambitious goal. Um, and, and the policies have been put in place to reach to a goal. Because to be honest with you, if you don't have a goal to aspire to, you're just going through the motions. So is, is that an ambitious and, and, and a lofty goal to reach? Absolutely. Um, and, and, and we need to remember that for us as an environmental leadership state in the Northeast, um, we have established in the past very ambitious environmental standards. And unfortunately, our track record's been mixed. We haven't been able to meet a lot of the air quality emission standards um, that, that not only looks at now vehicles, but we had energy production cons uh, quality concerns that we not met from many years past. So the reality is these goals are ambitious and they're, they're lofty. They're something to strive to. But as I said before, Morgan, we can't get to those goals unless we craft a pathway that engages not only ideal and, and, and principal policymakers that see a goal at the end, but rather we need to persuade the marketplace, the consumer, as well as the manufacturers, in this case motor vehicles, to be able to buy into this concept. And you see that major uh, uh, manufacturers buying into the electric vehicle. We looked at, um, it, it, you know, Toyota's come out with an innovation that could possibly create a battery that goes 900 miles and charge with less than a half hour. That is moving the needle forward based upon a manufacturer and then crafting and designing and producing cars that will engage the consumer to believe in and buy them cars. I mean, we started to creep up in that consumption of electric vehicles. I've had an electric vehicle or plug-in vehicle for the past uh, six, seven years, um, and, and I've learned to adapt 
and you build into a pattern. But for a wide-range tipping point adoption, you need to have more charging stations. You need to more reliability. Um, it, it's a whole infrastructure. And, 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 but nevertheless, for that goal to be reached, we have a whole lot of work to do. And, 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 but I said, if you don't have a goal, you're really just going through the motions. And, and, and I hope that we get to that goal. But nevertheless, I think we have to gauge it and, and do the little things that matter. But the consumer marketplace and the manufacturers have to lead on this in order to create an environment that, that is going to accomplish those goals. What happens if we've made progress by 2035, but we're not ready yet? Do we push it out till 2045, 2050? What do we do? Well, I think you, you reassess, just as we've done with uh, you know, energy production emissions level. We take a look and we say, what could we have done better? And I think that was one of the lear- lessons learned when I was the vice chair, when it was 1818, Democrat, Republicans in the Senate, to look at, we've not met those clean air standards that were set many years ago. How do we do that? And that's why my real emphasis is the fact that we can dictate policies and goals are important, but it isn't ever going to get there if we don't engage all the shareholders, that it's not an organic buy-in and, and, and people believe and, 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 and really endorse the, the, the philosophy and buy into it and practice it every day. So what I've learned in that lesson is, as I shared, is these goals in 2035 are ambitious. We're looking at truck support. We're looking at buses. But also the other thing you need to understand is we may be pushing it, but the, the technology may not be there. For example, I, I appreciate the fact that we're pushing forward with school buses, okay? And, and, and the, 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 the concern is um, how effective are they going to be and how safe are they in the sense that, you know, it was less than a year ago that we had a, a, a bus fire for an electric vehicle that was very difficult to put out, and there was a safety concern in regards to that technology. So we can't go forward full board and, and not be respectful of the development glitches that occurs. So we need to be able to have better technology. We need to have better development and investment. Again, that goes back to manufacturers believing in the idea, believing in the philosophy, and ultimately, they'll do it because it makes good business sense. How will Connecticut be able to enforce manufacturers on what they're able to sell in Connecticut? Well, that's a very interesting question. When California came up with that bill, that was one of the biggest questions. But the reality is, again, it has to be the marketplace, Morgan. I mean, we can make all the policies we want, but the reality is if you don't have an infrastructure place in place that people can reliably utilize these vehicles, you're, 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 you're just barking up the wrong tree in my mind. So, again, the, the role for us as facilitators in, in, in implementing these policies is we need to step up and create an infrastructure and a support for reaching those goals. So you're, you're absolutely right. If we don't do our part in, in supporting that kind of transition, then you know what? You can't expect the consumer and the manufacturers to join along as well. So we have a lot of work ahead of us. And, and, and make no mistake about it. This is going to be an entire change of an ecosystem. As I was thinking about the, the school bus fire uh, that was electric, what I learned from our firefighters was it was a different kind of fire that they had very, very 
little experience and, and, and found it very difficult to put out. Well, that changes a whole set of training uh, in regards to the requirements and the technology that we're undertaking. So, again, when I talk about these kind of policies, on, on a 10,000-foot level, it, it, it is important, and, and I believe that we need to have these kind of goals. But, but with all due respect, you can't forget the basics. You can't forget to include all the shareholders and respect them and, and because they bring an expertise and a perspective that are essential for these programs to be successful. And sometimes we, we don't always do that. And as a result, plans, uh, however lofty, however needed, however ideal, just don't get off the ground. It just never gets implemented. Has there been talk about maybe an interim plan like pushing more hybrid vehicles rather than full-blown all-electric vehicles, or has that not been talked a lot about? You know, that has not been a policy directive. I think we've only talked a lot about the EVs. But I will tell you this, Morgan, as a, as, as a consumer and, and a consumer that is committed to environmental advocacy and, and preserving our environment and air quality, which, which is why I supported the bill. I had an electric vehicle for four years, all EV, put a plug-in in my house, made the work, drove up to Hartford, barely had enough energy, worried about range. And, and then when I looked to, to, to purchase another vehicle, do I look to buy an all-EV vehicle? And I made the decision. I bought a plug-in hybrid, which gives me uh, 50 miles of electric, but then I will never have range anxiety questions, and I still get the performance of some of the electric vehicle combustibility, lack of combustibility and acceleration that's, that's, that makes driving EV vehicles so much fun. So I'm a, I'm a model of that dynamic of what you just talked about is I chose to buy a hybrid that gives me the comfort that, that I won't have range anxiety, but it gives me the, a little bit of an effort to, to, to help out. And hybrids, technology's gotten better, but again, the pure combustion gas engine is going to be a, 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 um, a, 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 an engineering feat of the past, I believe, in the next 30, 40 years. But we're going to still, I, I think we're still going to have to use some dependence on fossil fuel. Uh, we're not going to go cold turkey on that. I just don't believe it. It's, it's too much ingrained into our infrastructure and, 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 and uh, supply chain. But nevertheless, I think we can make that transition. But again, I'm going back to the key. You need to engage in the consumer marketplace and for people to believe it's worthwhile for them and the manufacturers to provide products that's going to accelerate the tipping point. I just thought about classic cars. You know, you've got car shows, you've got historic vehicles that have been around uh, since the 1920s, 30s, 40s, and really any time period. What about those vehicles? Because people are still going to want to hold on to them. They're not using them as everyday commuters, but how are we going to be able to support those if they still rely on some level of gasoline? Well, I, I don't think uh, gasoline will ever go away unless the supply runs out. You know, I'm reminded of when I was in college, the uh, the Mad Max movies, uh, and talking about how fuel has run out and it became a supply and and you, you had to kind of uh, fight to, 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 to own the fuel as, as kind of power. Uh, look, these classic cars are classic cars not only for their, 
uh, elegant design, but also for the engineering and the the engine's uh, design. Uh, I think they're always going to be here. Uh, and as I said, you know, maybe if we get into a a renewable energy um, kind of environment in way into the future, then we can look at these classic muscle cars, the Mustangs and, and the Corvettes and the, the Porsches uh, that are fuel-driven as really classic designs that aren't really meant for daily um, use and commuter use or commercial use, but more of a classic reflection of an era that has uh, that's part of our past that we can always look back on. I, I, I think that may be the fact that we move forward. But we, we do that all the time for many things, not only on, on motor vehicles, but uh, America has a tremendous love affair with our cars, and, and rightfully so. They evoke such wonderful emotions, wonderful connectivity. Um, I, I heard the story of someone who went to Vietnam, and, and uh, he had a, a 60... 60 number uh, 1960s Thunderbird. And the dad said to him, you come back from Vietnam, that car is yours. And you know what he said to me? He said, there are tough times. I remember coming home to that car. And you know what? He's in his 70s. He still has that car. In the rest of our conversation here, I just want to focus on how are we going to get residents on board? Because you've got to get the manufacturers on board. But as you said, it's important that we get the marketplace to consumers on board. So how do we get residents in Connecticut, also our neighboring states, to sign on to this and start supporting all EVs in Connecticut? Well, I, I think one of them has to be, it's got to be fun to drive. It, it, it's got to have the engineering, the performance, and, and the, the desirability for people to want to drive it. Um, and and I, I think the manufacturers have seen that. And made the move. Listen, 15, 20 years ago, if you were environmentally conscious and way ahead of the curve in regards to sensitivity about environment and and sustainability, you know there there was kind of the 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 the, the car for you. It was the the Toyota Prius, right? And and I remember that uh, people said it's an unusual car, but it fits the the model. But if you're going to look to get wide mainstream adoption just as i said and i and i and I, I may be a little broken record on this but it's really important we can't adopt these plans without the consumer the marketplace and an affordability to adopt it because that then drives our manufacturers despite whatever government policy we can impose and dictate the reality is the manufacturers move at a quicker pace when they realize there are customers out there for them so I, I think you've got to design cars that are functionally practical. Uh, a range is critical, but, but you need to create it that they're fun to drive. You've seen models now come out in regards to uh, I, I, RAV4s. You're looking at the new Mustang, and, and Porsches are coming out. You got. I, I just heard on a, a podcast when I'm driving up to Hartford is the fact that they're even thinking about creating an electric vehicle for that all-American creation of the minivan. You know, if they deliver an EV car for minivans, watch out. It'll really be a tipping point in my mind. Um, but but that we're building trucks. The, 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 the Ford F-150, even going electric, has a waiting list that is a, a, a mile long. So I think if you produce it 
and you create a sustainability and a practicality to lure the consumer and ultimately a reliability. And that's where the infrastructure comes in for us as government entities to create using the federal infrastructure money to build these out structures and be supportive. I think it's all a, a, a very interconnected ecosystem. But ultimately, we got to produce cars that people want to drive. People enjoy driving. Um, and, and, uh, um, and, and don't forget, you know, how about mass transit? <laughs> Senator Wong with us this morning on Face Connecticut. And I want to just go over some numbers real quick. There are roughly, as of today, 36,000 EV registrations in Connecticut, and that's just about a tenth of a percent of the 3 million total registered vehicles here in the Nutmeg State. Now, one thing that we hear about in Connecticut is power outages, especially during small wind storms, tropical storms, extreme cold temperatures, even very hot temperatures. Sometimes the electrical grid can fail in moments like that. Is it going to be possible to upgrade our power grid to support 3 million total registered EVs in the state? Well, you hit it right on the dot. That was one of the big concerns during the public hearing process and, and debate is, okay, take away the economics, take away it about the mandate policy, take away the cost. Can we actually provide if it really does succeed? It's not just about the quality of life concern, which are critical but it's about infrastructure concerns. So we need to now kind of revisit with our utilities to, for them to make the investment in the infrastructure to understand capacity. It's not just simple capacity of electric cars, Morgan. Look, everybody now has a, a you know, most of people have one or two flat panel TVs, which sucks up a lot of energy. And every one of our smartphone devices need constant charging. Uh, we are an electronic-dependent, uh, uh, consumer-oriented um, commu- uh, state and, and, and country. So we suck up a lot of energy, and, and I'm just not sure the utilities have made the necessary infrastructure investments and a full understanding of the challenges we have ahead of times. And perhaps that's something we need to do. Again, it needs to be in a partnership with all the shareholders to get to that level. But I think the other part of it is that, you know, uh, solar storage, uh, the ability to have better technology where people can now utilize solar and, and the incentive of renewable energy and store that energy and get off the grid to be able to control their energy. That's another innovative aspect. Um, to, to, for people to have energy independence. But again, it, it, it's, it's going to take time. It's going to take an evolution. Um, and, and like I said, this is a bill that is lofty and ambitious. But what we're going to find out, as I've learned in many other policy bills that we have initiated because of an a, a important reason, a, a critical reason, that it's going to have challenges we're going to have to adapt. But So in regards to energy, um, the energy sector is one of the most uh, compelling and, and important factors in our daily lives, but they always haven't been very transparent and very collaborative. So my hope is that we get to that and engage with all the shareholders. So, again, I'm, I'm repeating often, but the bottom line is we can't accomplish this without engaging with all the shareholders. And if we as policymakers have the arrogance to think that we can make everybody come along and everybody will agree with what they say, well, they should visit my household because I know that's not true. Republican State Senator Tony Wong of Fairfield, last question to wrap everything up. What's the next step here? 
well, I think the next step is uh, what we do tomorrow. The first thing is how can we as everyday consumers and, 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 and uh, shareholders, as, as users of energy and, and, and impact on utilization, and, and when we look at the next car purchase, what we can do. And I, I know we're talking about EV vehicles and, and transition, but look, I, I disagree with the governor because I believe if you're really looking at environmental concerns and emissions control, you need to make a full-out investment in our mass transit, to our rails, to our busways. It's critical to get people off the roads. So I, I think, as I said, it needs to be an entire ecosystem of not just one shiny object, uh, but rather a whole comprehensive policy. So for me, as an environmental advocate that looks at sustainability and also what we can do to lead and provide a better environment moving forward, it has to be a holistic approach. So if I'm going to say, what can we do tomorrow? We need to see if we can limit uh, our, our transportation, take mass transit as a, as a bit of reducing cars on the road. Senator Juan, thanks so much for coming on Face Connecticut with me this weekend. I really appreciate it, and we'll have to talk again down the line. Thank you, Morgan. Face Connecticut is a production of the News and Public Affairs Department of WTIC Radio. Baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up. And your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. 